Welcome, everyone, to episode two of the Jesus Among Us podcast. I'm Bob Walzer. I'm Robbie Morwick. And today, just the two of us, we're going to be talking a little bit more about storytelling and the idea that the Bible is presented more as a story than as a as more perhaps a list of laws or a list of rules and religious practices that we're required to follow. Um, by no means does that mean that those things don't exist in the Bible, but even when those things are presented, they are presented as a part of a story or a parable. Yeah, it's interesting to look at the Bible, um, this thing that is God's revelation of himself to us. This is how he teaches us who he is. But it's not a list of traits or a list of characteristics. It's a series, mostly a series of stories about the things that God has done. Especially the Old Testament is just almost entirely narrative or even the prophets are nested within their own sort of mini narratives. Um, And there's a sense in which it would probably be a lot easier on us if the Bible were just a list of, like, these are things that are true about God. Um, But instead, God chose to reveal himself through storytelling. And from those stories, that's where we draw um, our doctrines, our beliefs. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that the, the storytelling aspect of that really gives us a lot of cultural context. I think that's really important when it comes to understanding how not how god has changed but how god's children have changed and yet at the same time god's law and god's word really still remains the same throughout that and i think the 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 fact that it is a storytelling nature really shows and exemplifies the fact that the bible is applicable to all cultures and all ways of living would be the best way to describe that i think Take, for example, even in Exodus, you know, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the books that are considered the law. Even when the law is presented as a list of laws, it is provided in the context of you know, Moses going up the mountain, receiving the law and coming down the mountain to Israel blatantly disobeying God, worshiping an idol right after God had saved them from the Egyptians in an extremely miraculous way. That story gives us the context for the laws as they were given. And I know that under the new covenant, we're not necessarily beholden exactly to those laws, but those laws of the Old Testament have these important facets of what it is like to be a follower of God. Even if heard a word-for-word definition, we are not even necessarily still under that law. We are still under the authority that gave those laws. Yeah, those... the. Um, for us, especially as Christians, not living under the Mosaic Covenant, the stories are a lot more helpful than the laws themselves. Because first, the giving of the law is this terrific act of mercy of God coming down and saying, I'm going to have a relationship with these people, and here are the conditions of that. This is what you need to do to have a relationship with me and to please me so that I will I can bless you as opposed to all the surrounding cultures where they just kind of try to figure out how to please their gods. And when they did something and things went wrong, they would say, all right, that didn't work. Let's try something else. But instead, God just said, these are the things that you have to do. And if you do these things, then I'm going to bless you and your people. And then 
we see the story unfold of the law in practice that the Israelites are never able to keep the law, but it takes, you know, over 500 years for, um, in fact, closer to a thousand years of Israel's disobedience to lead to God to actually fulfill the punishment in the law that, you know, if you disobey my covenant, then you will, I will remove you as a people from the land. And that only happened after a thousand years of constant um, covenant violation. I think that's part of the importance of the story of the Old Testament is you could say something, you know, in a few sentences of God gave the law, Israel disobeyed for a thousand years, and then God removed them. And through that thousand years, God was showing mercy in not immediately evicting them from their land. And yet that doesn't have the same impact of seeing that thousands of years of history drawn out and seeing exactly what happened and the consequences of it. And I think that's that story element that makes the Old Testament such a powerful statement towards God's mercy. Yeah, and you see that mercy carried out across, of course, the whole meta-narrative of the Old Testament, but also the individual stories. I um, very recently uh, was had it explained to me the purpose of the story of um, Samson and the lion that's filled with honey. The lion carcass that's filled with honey and then he eats the honey. That was always so weird to me. But apparently there's a really good reason for why that's there. Is that the Nazarite vow that Samson had taken had three primary um, stipulations. One is the famous one. You cannot cut your hair. But then there's also you cannot drink wine. And there's right after that, the very next verse after that lion story. He throws a wedding party with his Philistine wife and presumably, or his Philistine fiance and presumably the Philistine men where there would be a lot of drinking of wine going on. And then the third one is to not let yourself become ritually unclean. And one of the ways that you do that is by touching an animal corpse. And so what Samson did is he ate honey out of an animal corpse. So right there, from one verse to the next, between these, it's like three verses, he violates two of the three stipulations of his Nazarite vow. But God still chooses to use him against the Philistines. He only departs from him when the third and final part of the vow is broken. And then even then, in the temple, um, I believe, yeah, in, that, in the temple building, yeah, God in, returned in the, to him. Yeah, in the pagan Philistine temple. Yeah, God returned to him so that he could not really once and for all, but deal this decisive blow against the Philistines mm-hmm. that would have um, realistically they never recovered from. Well, um, they were they were still there. There were still a, a a major powerhouse and they're the primary antagonists in First Samuel. Yeah, but yeah, that's like probably at least for a generation it freed the Israelites from the oppression of the Philistines. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a showing of God's mercy in the individual case. God had the right to depart from Samson when he violated the first aspect of that vow, but he didn't. He didn't leave after he violated the second aspect of the vow. He waited until the all, the entire vow had been broken and then returned to him as soon as Samson repented. Mm-hmm. Our brains are much more wired to learn from stories than from like, logical argument or explanation, which can be frustrating at times, but that's just that's just how we work. We're, we're built for 
relationship and storytelling is an aspect of relationship. The idea that, that logic can be used to influence an entire people group, like logic has been around for millennia, obviously, but the idea that logic can be used to really truly influence an entire people group is really a very new idea in our, our modern age, like maybe, maybe in the last 500 years, mm-hmm. not even. Um, so for the majority of human history, it has been the act of storytelling. And really, I have seen in many ways a kind of a return to that. People flocking to the ideas of stories over logic and reason. Um, yeah, that's interesting that we're, you know, like Western, the Western European culture of, um, that was built upon, you know, the stories of scripture that through the enlightenment attempted to become a culture of logic. But with postmodernism, we wrap right back around where there's this idea that there is no objective truth and that individual experience is really what defines what is real. So in that setting, story is how you persuade someone. Yeah. You tell you tell a story to convince someone of an idea. You can't use you can't necessarily use um hard logic in doing that. I think another interesting not not interesting, that wasn't the word I meant to use, important. Important aspect of the, the storytelling aspect of the Bible is the fact that, you know, all through the Old Testament you see these these champions that God raises up and then they fail constantly due to their own uh, imperfection. And yet we see this one example being Jesus, where God raises up a champion and he is perfect and everything goes perfectly, but you couldn't just write that down and have it have the emotion that it does. Reading through the Old Testament, you see failure, failure, failure. And then we have this one story in the New Testament where there is success and that is in Jesus. And I think that's a really really in in evidence of how inspired God inspired scripture is because we have all of this thousands of years of history that humans can't be perfect. And then we have this one man who is perfect and you can't do that effectively in any other way than a storytelling aspect of it. You could do it from a historical standpoint, perhaps, but if you look at it with pure history, pure history doesn't care if you're perfect or not. Pure history just cares what you did and what you didn't do. Yeah, one of the things that when you look at the story of Jesus against the backdrop of the Old Testament is that um, the Old Testament shows so much why we needed Jesus as he came, why we needed the perfect God-man to come and do that because just normal humans, you see them try to fulfill that role, but they fail over and over again. And then uh, you get to... Jesus, and that's basically God saying, like, from the end of, I think it was Avengers, where Thanos shows up, and he, I think he puts on a gauntlet, is like, alright, I guess I'm going to have to do it myself. Mm-hmm. That's the position God is in after, um, <laughs> I don't, I guess you can't fully understand it, but presented, one way of thinking of it is presented us with uh, this 1500 year narrative of humans trying to uh, create their own salvation and God trying to um, achieve salvation through humans, just normal humans, and uh, the humans always fail. So it comes to, we need 
God needs to step in and fulfill that role. Remember, I only very recently finished, but last year I went through an Old Testament survey, just read through one book at a time, the Old Testament. And it was interesting. I was in the Old Testament for a couple of months. I got through all the history books and I was into a couple of the prophets. And then I went, uh, I was challenged to go and read the gospel. It was so interesting reading the opening of Matthew when my head was so much in the Old Testament. The opening of Matthew, it opens first with the genealogies. I, is it, I think it's like Adam to Abraham, something like that. Abraham to David and then David to Jesus. David to the exile, then the yeah. exile to Jesus. And it says, and that, that genealogy ends. And so there was, I should pull up the verse. <laughs> I don't want to embarrass myself. <laughs> yeah, it goes from Abraham to David, David to the exile, and then the exile up until Jesus. And then Matthew one seventeen says, Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. And when you're reading the Old Testament with all these allusions to the Messiah and all these prophecies of the coming Savior, that's really exciting. <laughs> uh, we read over that really fast because genealogies are boring to us. But that idea of like, here's this thousand-year story that you've been reading, and now here we are. This is, this is what they were talking about. It's it's kind of like the uh, previously on, yeah. <laughs> previously, previously on, on the Israel, <laughs> previously in Israel. Yeah, I think there's an unfortunate tendency in uh, modern Christianity to only look at certain parts of the Bible without the full biblical context. Um, this is even something that I'm guilty of, to where we bounce around the Bible, you know, from book you know, from one book to another without really understanding what happens in between there in this, this story. Um, and it's really unfortunate and it, it makes sense because, you know, the Bible as, as it is, the Bible is not, it's presented on as a more topical thing than it is as a one cohesive story. Um, but we lose so much context. If you just read the gospel, you don't know that thousands of years of, of history that is, is presented as humanity being broken. Or if you just focus on the Old Testament, this is what I'm very guilty of doing. I tend to focus on the Old Testament without looking at the New Testament much. And you miss really a lot of the redemption that Jesus brings. And you reading that in the epistles and in Revelation, even you see a lot of the redemption and the transformation that that a true relationship with Jesus Christ can bring. And it's been really valuable to me. I've over the last year I've been reading through a chronological narrative of the Bible. So I did the first 11 chapters of Genesis, then I read through Job, then I did the the next most of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. But now it's really when it's starting to get interesting because I'm reading through Samuel. First Samuel, which is the story of King David's rise to power. And you have these moments where, oh, David has been thrown out from King Saul's court and he's being chased. And immediately once that happens, there's a break in the reading segment of this and we move out of Samuel and into Psalms. And it has been extremely 
useful to me to see, okay, this is what David is doing. And then with the Psalms, we have, this is what David wrote and the emotion that he has seen. And that has been really relieving for me to see that because we see so often in the you know the story we're told that, oh, David just leaves and he's following God the whole time. And he's having a grand old time living in the cave with his 600 elite men. Fun fact, they weren't all originally elite men. They were bandits and outcasts who happened to honor David because David was the only guy who made sense. But if you read the Psalms that he wrote during that time, he was under a lot of emotional stress and trauma and a lot of doubt crying out to God that, you know, he's done nothing wrong towards Saul. And why is Saul chasing him? And getting that full context of that story is really powerful because we see these people who have had, you know, they're the kind of the textbook example of, oh, this is what it means. This is what it means to have a good relationship with God. Oftentimes we will look towards examples of David, but we see that it is okay in the story. It is okay to have a good relationship with God and yet at the same time have doubts, have crises of faith and see that that is a natural thing to happen in an imperfect humanity. Yeah, these things are these things in the Bible are always really cool when you're able to dive deep into it like that. We're not as like modern Westerners, we're not wired for that, especially with the Old Testament, where the difference between ancient Hebrews and modern Americans is very vast. The literature that we're exposed to, there are two primary types that most people are exposed to is one is novels, where it is the job of the author to keep your attention and to provide as much detail as possible so that you have to do as little work as possible as a reader. And then we also read textbooks where it is the job of the author to be understood. And if the reader doesn't understand what the author is saying in the textbook, that's the author's fault. It's a bad textbook. In comparison for the ancient Hebrews, it was the job of the reader to understand. And there wasn't exactly you know popular literature at the time writing and reading was a rare skill and writing was very difficult and took lots of time and lots of resources to just write something down. So if people wanted something to read, they had scripture. (laughs) That was pretty much it. And the style of writing is so foreign to us because they provide the minimum detail necessary to teach us what they're trying to teach. We know that Saul was tall. We know David was short uh, and handsome. They're both described as handsome. Yeah, okay, they're both handsome. Saul is tall and David is short. That's about it. I think most people have like an image of David or Saul in their head. I tend to imagine David as having like curly red hair. I don't know why, but that's, (laughs) that's the image I have. But that doesn't come from the scripture because it doesn't matter. To the author, um, that wasn't what he was trying to communicate. What he's trying to communicate is his personality, his nature, his heart. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's not important to the message of the books of Samuel or First Chronicles when they're talking about David. And you see much closer to a Western idea of study in the New Testament, but it's still just you have to put in so much energy, so much focus into getting that deep understanding when you look at the New Testament, it's, what is it, 27 books, 
four of those are Gospels. You got the Book of Acts and then Revelations, which is kind of weird. Revelation, there's just one, which is kind of weird. And then 21 Epistles, which largely are have the job of explaining the Gospels, what happened there. So 21 of those books are more our speed, uh, just an explanation of this is what this thing means and this is why this reality is like this. So we tend to like that more and we tend to like the Gospels uh, just because we like Jesus. And at that point, with some historical context, at that point, the Greek and Roman Western culture has spread and it has influence directly into the lives of people who know how to write. And so you already have at that point this early Western philosophy of writing to be understood. Yeah, so we're able to read that really well because that is that Western ideal. We get that from the Greeks, but if we just read the stuff that's easy to us, we don't get the full picture. The Old Testament is just as much the Word of God as the New Testament. Uh, and if you try to have one without the other, you're going to get an incomplete picture of God. And sure, the with the God, I'm sure someone could pick up the Gospel of Matthew and get enough out of that to become saved, to put their trust in Jesus and be be destined for the kingdom of heaven. But you still get an incomplete picture. You can't get the deep knowledge that you do get when you study the whole Bible over a lifetime, and that's really what Scripture is made for: is that deep contemplative study over many years. That's another thing that's really powerful about the Bible is, yes, it is presented as a story, it is presented as one unit, and yet at the same time, every time, if you read it more than one time, you can get more than one thing out of each individual aspect. Um, again, that's the value of deep study of it, is you learn, get new connections, new word definitions. And I know very few other story-based works that you can even do that with. Yes, there are, again, again, this is a, more of a novel setting where it, the author is writing to be understood and to keep the attention, but there are very few works out there that are so comprehensive and deep and have so many references to other works over years. In fact, there, there are no other... <laughs> There are no other literary works that have such a deep cross-reference ability over thousands and thousands of years of history. But the Bible is one of the few wherein your understanding of the entire work of the Bible increases every time you read any single book. Yeah, and these are, these are really a lot of the advantages of the nature of the Bible being God's revelation through the telling of stories rather than a list of just like, these are the things that are true about me. This is who I am. And this is how exactly you have a relationship with me. Here's the best way to pray. Here's um, um, like what you should do in every situation. We don't have that. One of the downsides of that, though, is that there aren't a lot of the details that we would like to have. Famously, the story in Genesis 3, what was, what was the forbidden fruit? It just says it's a fruit. We like to imagine it as maybe an apple, but it doesn't say that. What is it? How long were Adam and Eve in the garden for before they got kicked out? You know, what exactly did Jesus look like? 
there's a there's a there are some people who believe that Jesus has a stutter for a period of about a hundred years in the Middle Ages. People believe that Jesus might have leper might have had leprosy. It doesn't say one way or another whether Jesus had leprosy. There's so much stuff that we wonder about, and the worst cases of that are those things that divide Christians. That there's a reason why there are so many denominations, like a couple of dozen major ones across dividing lines of like, you know, the difference between Catholics and Protestants in the gospel accounts. Jesus says, you know, Peter, the, the verse where Jesus says, Peter, I give you the keys to the church. And then, you know, the end of Acts 1, might, you might read that where they replace Judas with Matthias. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, they replace him. That might um, establish the idea of apostolic apostolic succession that you know you're able to have successors to the apostles so then do the successors of peter have supreme authority in the church i don't think so but i could definitely see people reading that it that way or when in john jesus talks a lot about um you know eating the flesh of the son of man and drinking his blood in this very literal sense so when we have the Eucharist, is that does it literally become uh, the flesh and blood of Jesus, or does Jesus' nature exist alongside that? It's not necessarily clear. You can make arguments one way or another, but didn't necessarily tell us these things so that we can know the fine details of how these things work. And I think God is okay with us having some diversity on some of these topics. The important bits are a lot more clear. Like God, the Trinity, God is three persons in one being. And that's never explicitly stated, but when you read through the New Testament, it's the only reasonable conclusion you can come to from how Jesus talks about God and the Spirit and himself and how Peter talks about it in his epistles. And um, That's just the only real logical conclusion you can come to even if it's unintuitive or kind of weird to think about uh, the big things, the issues of salvation, the issues of like, there are certain things that if you're on this side of the issue, you're a Christian. If you're on the other side, you're not a Christian. I think those are clear, but some of the finer points of doctrine, we just don't know. We can have strong feelings about it, but it can, and that's frustrating, but the Bible didn't necessarily, the authors weren't, teaching on some of these things. That wasn't their focus, at least. So we're left to draw our own conclusions. Yeah, we're, we're left to draw our own conclusions, and there's also, there are things that we will never know. And some of these things could be that, these questions of, is the Eucharist physically turning into the blood and the, the flesh of Jesus Christ? And the, the question of, where did believers go before Jesus died, crucified, and was raised to life? What happened to those who followed God before that? Are they in hell? Are they in heaven? Are they in some other place? We don't know. And I think some of these things are really not told because they're not important enough to make a big stink about it, if you will. Yes, some of these things are dividing lines between denominations, and yet if this thing was explicitly stated in the Bible as these things, those would become 
in the way that our culture works, those would become new things that we would latch onto that aren't important. For instance, we see this in the story of the Pharisees, where the Pharisees latched onto the laws and traditions that aren't even written in the law as being more important than God himself, and the thing that really mattered, which was obeying God's word. And we see that in what Jesus says, where you know the only commandments are, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If he had given any more other than those, those two most important things might fall behind in order of importance. Yeah. So with a lot of these things, we don't have like solid, explicit answers, but that's because that's not what those things aren't what the Bible is necessarily about. It's about God revealing who he is to us. And he's doing that so that we can have a relationship with him. That's what the Bible is. God showing us who he is so that we can have that relationship. Um, and a lot of these other things just aren't, you know, like, do you, can you baptize infants or do you only baptize adults? Or are Adam and Eve going to be in heaven? I don't know. <laughs> I would, I, I would think not, but my intuition tells me maybe they would be, but I don't know. And it doesn't matter to my relationship with God whether that's the case. And certainly things like, you know, what kind of fruit was the um, forbidden fruit just does not matter. Because at the end of the day, it's not about what it was. It's about, you know, Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And that's it. That's the lesson. Really, the, the story of the Bible is pointing towards this defining moment where God is revealing himself to us. And showing that everything else is, not that it's not important, but it's not as important as what is your relationship with God now and what is it going to be. There's a movie, movie's called Cowboys and Aliens. It's really corny. I love it. And there's a preacher man in it. Most of the things the preacher man says are not necessarily super Christian. And this is a, a, a common thing in m much of our modern uh, media. But one of the quotes that he has is, God doesn't care who you were. He only cares who you are and who you're, who you're going to be now. Um, I think that's a really, really a, a very important aspect of the Bible is with the the story of the Bible pointing towards this defining moment where you choose to die to yourself, die to who you were, and become the person God wants you to be and the person God has in mind for you. Yeah. So my like, encouragement on the topic of that is um, some of this other stuff is, we talk about it like it's not important, but I think it is, like, it's worth thinking about uh, the questions that divide denominations, and I think that like, I'm not a non-denominationalist. I have my own beliefs on all these things. But the important thing is that you get the fundamentals first. Uh, and you know where you're going when you die. You know what's going to happen. You've, have you put your trust in Jesus uh, for the forgiveness of your sins? And are you pursuing that relationship with God? Once you have those down, then we can start talking. Then you can start talking about all the other stuff. Start thinking about that start working on that but the important thing is that we're in that walk with god that we're able to have that relationship and that's what the i guess the goal of the bible is the goal of god's revelation of himself and that's how with the bible being a story 
you can see what a relationship with God looks like, what good relationships look like, and what bad relationships look like, and how good relationships turn bad, and how bad relationships turn good, and how you can, there are moments in our lives where a good relationship, we, we fall away from that relationship with God, but God redeems that. We see that time and time again throughout the Old and New Testament. And we see that as a story instead of a this king did the bad thing and then God saved him and showed him that the thing he did was bad. The end. That doesn't happen. Or if it does happen, it'll reference another book of the Bible and say this is where you find the actual story of that king. And all that comes from the fact that at the end of the day, the Bible is about God. It's not about us. It shows us what God has been doing for us uh, and what he continues to do for us. But at the end of the day, God is the main character. I've even seen some uh, translations of the Bible that instead of saying the Bible or the holy book or anything like that, they will say the story of God or the story mm -hmm. of Jesus as the intended title of the book. I think that's a really cool way of presenting the Bible is saying this is a story of God and his people. Yeah, it's one of the mistakes that we can make when reading the Bible is always asking the question, what does this mean to me? But really, the question always should be, what does this tell me about God? And then once you've worked that out, then you can start to ask, all right, this teaches me this thing about God. What does that mean for me? What does that mean for my relationship with him? Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Jesus Among Us podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening. And if you want to learn more about Chi Alpha and what we do, please visit umxa.org. Thanks for listening. Should I do lunch? Uh, you get the Taco Bell app, you can order a custom $5 box now, mm -hmm. which yeah, can, in, can include the Contract Supreme. Oh. And a at the same time, one of the uh, beefy five-layer burritos as your side instead of a regular taco. Oh, okay, those tacos suck. Yeah, those tacos do suck. So, so if you ever go, if you're thinking Taco Bell, that's my recommendation: is get the app, and then order for a mobile pickup. No. Bob, in the future, when you're editing this, put that in. <laughs> that's our outro. Sponsored by Taco Bell. <laughs>